Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It's GOTV Spring Election uh, Weekend. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch is with us from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca, good to see you. Happy to be here. Yes, GOTV Weekend. Who isn't happy? <laughs> and as always, Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action joins us. Robert, it's good to have you. Uh, good morning, everyone. We're really actually very happy to have Robert. He is working on sleep deprivation this morning as uh, flight, which was already going to be late from the East Coast last night, was delayed three hours. So we really appreciate Robert uh, sucking it up and uh, working with no sleep. Half the southwest part of the Reagan National, I don't call it Reagan, the National Airport <laughs> Terminal uh, was late because of some giant storms in the, like the upper south. And so they were handing out all the free bad food and all of that. So we know travel can suck, but hey, thanks you, Robert, for, for joining us. We've got a lot to talk about. So it is, uh, it is Get Out the Vote weekend. We have a very important election next Tuesday, uh, April 3rd. Um, and so we're going to talk more about that later in the show, but we have to start the show by talking about everything that's gone on this week in our governor's efforts to not hold a special election in Senate District 1 and Assembly District 42. And uh, for our listeners, just a little quick background. Senate District 1 is up in uh, basically the Door County area and then Kiwani and sort of what you might call suburban Green Bay, Appleton. So east of Green Bay and the Appleton area. And then uh, Assembly District 42 is due north of the city of Madison um, and mostly rural, but sort of exurban uh, Madison area. And these seats have been unrepresented now since last year, late last year. And Governor Walker has been refusing to declare a special election, even though it appeared, and now we have vindication, that it was constitutionally required from our, to, to uh, statutorily required to actually have these, these elections called. Let me and, put it this way. It is so clear that even right-wing <laughs> judges think it's clear. Yeah. So, you know, we record Thursday morning, and it was just announced that Governor Walker has now called for special elections on June 12th, and uh, if there would be a primary, it would be May 15th. But we need to talk a little bit about this whole run-up and what led him to get here, because this is exactly what's wrong with the current not only the governor, but just sort of the Republican institutions right now, and where it's, it's all about political power. I mean, just flat out, and uh, the judge, the judges have all been very clear. Let's, let's be clear. All the judges have been very adamant about this. There's been no wiggle room. So let me just start by getting your overall thoughts on this. Uh, Rebecca, we'll start with you. Um, but just sort of what we think this means, we're obviously heading into a special election or an election around the Supreme Court. So this is all very juicy. You know, I, I see uh, the effort to delay the calling of the elections for the seats as an extension of the panic that ensued after Democrats won SD10 when we, as listeners will remember, Governor Scott Walker was tweeting out, wake up call, wake up call. Um, but it really was a wake up call. And I think you know, again, to, to your point, Matt, um, Walker, this administration and the Republicans in Madison will stop at nothing to rig the rules of the game. 
and we see it with gerrymandering and, you know, the other big news this week, which we've talked about in the past and we'll talk about again, but um, the U.S. Supreme Court is now hearing the Maryland gerrymandering yep. case, and I'm hopeful that maybe that means because we've got Democrats on one side of one case and Republicans on another that we might get some resolution. But whether it's gerrymandering, whether it's calling of the special elections, whether it's voter suppression, whether it's campaign finance, they will stop at nothing to rig the rules of the game. And depending on the way the winds are blowing, depends on whether or not they would want to call a special election now or not. And so uh, I think what's important to note about these seats, and I, I want to throw it over to Robert to talk more about like what happened here in the process, but maybe at some point, if not today, we can talk about these seats in particular. They're tough seats for Democrats. I mean, we shouldn't be Pollyannish about it, but I think that they're going to be very competitive and very interesting races for us in the lead up to what's going to happen this fall. We will talk more about those uh, on this podcast, but Robert, to you and just your initial thoughts. Well, clearly it was about power, and it was about trying to avoid the blue surge, and they're hoping that the surge dies off by November, and so have elections in November, not now, and I'll ignore the law, because I'm the decider. And it is a little like, and I usually quote him, George Lakoff's strict father theory, <laughs> the strict father must be supported whether rational or not, right? Because he provides authority and what he says is moral guidance, so it's that kind of thing. And what's interesting is he got slapped down by a right-wing judge that he appointed. And then it, it's hard to interpret the fact that he didn't take it to the state Supreme Court any other way that, I mean, the nice interpretation is is that people told him that it's so bad even they won't side with you. The worst, which I tend to lean to, is, is that these guys aren't really judges and there was actually communication about whether the Supreme Court would sustain him, which I would suspect might have happened on <laughs> Hot take uh, John Doe as well. Because <laughs> uh, these are politicians in robes, like, like Michael yeah. Skronik, who we'll get to later as some sort of you know, independent judge. But even, I mean, the law is, in this case, extremely clear and extremely well-written, and he simply tried to ignore it. Let, real quick, just a little bit on this week, because it's pretty daunting. Hey, Robert, while you were gone, let's, <laughs> let's fill you in mm -hmm. on what happened. I know it all seems like it just sort of resolved today, but uh, no, earlier, as of this weekend, it was pretty clear that you know, the judge had already said, you need to do this, and already working with the attorney general to try to get it delayed. That was the big thing. Could we get it delayed so the legislature, which did meet on Wednesday, could push through a bill that would essentially change the law, right? Which they started pushing through. Right. So again, this is critical. This ain't just Walker, right? The whole Republican apparatus got involved in this, including the Attorney General, to try to defend Walker. And Robert, your hot take, I think is right, which is amazing, right? That essentially the Supreme Court, which is rigged in his favor, clearly told him this was not going to go well, and he pulled it, right? There's no way he would not have taken this to the court if he felt solid about what he was going to get. And again, this is why and our election is so And probably not because important. they were being ethical, but because it would absolutely reveal the state Supreme Court as a political entity if it dared to, to, to not to overrule his decision. I'm glad you brought that up, because I think that that is clearly what's going on with the election on Tuesday. This would have been like, a, like here, do you want a tale of why you shouldn't vote for the conservative right, right. judge, justice? And so I think that they had realized... That, um, that, they, that they'd overplayed their hand. And so Walker has announced these elections. I do want to talk more about these districts. Very much like when Justice Roberts, right, decided not to kill ACA because he was going to take out the Voting Rights Act, you know, those sort of decisions. I right? don't know. My, my hot take is that actually they're not 
they're gonna they're not gonna push this case further because maybe because they'll lose, but also because it's better for them electorally to have these special elections. I think the I'm not gonna call it a surge because that sounds kind of gross, but yeah, the blue wave is coming. Um, and I think November is going to be a really strong election for us if we play I our cards. Surge right. was some sort of energy drink that the yeah. millennials <laughs> appreciate. Way, that, but I, Rebecca, <laughs> I was thinking similar lines this morning about like. Wow, you know, this is so weird because normally Democrats, we would not like special elections. We do not normally do well. Our voters are harder to get out, right? All of that in special elections. And so this is a very unique time, which I think makes them make, they're making very unique arguments, like listening to the testimony on Wednesday about the poor people from overseas and how they won't be able to vote. And of, and of course, right, playing up, these are most, a lot of military people and it's just like, really? Right? As opposed to Wait. all of the people who actually live here get no representation. Wait, I have a solution. <laughs> Why don't they just make all elections be on presidential election day? Wouldn't that give the most voters and the most of our, of our troops the ability now to vote? Now you're just talking crazy. Talk so, so, so I actually want to read what um, the appeals court judge, uh, Paul Riley, said. Because this is really good. It's, and we're going to have a link to this uh, on our website. Please go read it. It's very short, but this part was particularly important. Representative government and the elections of our representatives are never unnecessary. And he put that in quotes because that's what Walker used to describe it. <laughs> never a waste of taxpayer resources. And that's how Walker had been pitching this. We spent an entire episode of our show talking about this and how appalling the waste of taxpayer resource argument was. And then he goes on to say, in the calling of special elections are, as the governor acknowledges, his obligation to follow. So, like, just great deal of clarity um, but coming out of the appeals court. So we're going to have these special elections, and, um, Rebecca, you bring up the point that um, these seats are not something where it's a guarantee, oh, roll out the ball, the team's going to win, you know, slam dunk. Uh, these are seats that are, particularly Senate District 1, very similar to, to, to the seat out west in terms of their performance. We're talking about a 42-ish percent Democratic seat. Um, on a good day, I would say, it's probably closer to 40. So uh, that's very similar to what SD10 was. And for folks to remember, I think uh, Democrats ran with 55%. So these are not like guarantees. And, and uh, Assembly District 42 is fairly similar. It might be slightly more Democratic. But these are Republican seats, let's be clear. Um, and it's going to require a significant effort on, the half of, on behalf of progressives, not only in these districts, but throughout the state, to put effort in to try to win these. And we can't forget that there was a lot of work that went into SD10 to make that happen. So yes, I am speaking to you, our, our listeners and members and activists. You have got to get prepared. We've got to go win these races. There will be opportunities where you'll be able to get involved from home, making calls from home, possibly even going, contributing money to the candidates that run. But we all need to pitch in because the other side got the wake-up call that Walker tweet. They'll be there in a way that they might not have been in SD10. So with that, we got to take a break. We're going to talk more elections on the back end of this uh, break, and we'll see you. We are the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before we left, we were talking about the big news this week. There will be special elections. Governor Walker has capitulated to the rule of law. 
which ironically came from the Supreme Court, <laughs> we believe. But anyways, um, so special elections, again, folks, be prepared to get involved. But we have elections coming up next Tuesday. Spring elections, very important elections around. Voila, the Supreme Court, what do you know? Uh, Rebecca Dallet is uh, the candidate that we've endorsed, and she is up against Michael Skrenik. We wanted to talk a little bit about the closing in this race, and particularly the ads, the ads, the ads, right? Like, these ads are always so slimy and disgusting. Robert loves to predict the slime, and it came. It's been running all week. It's from the WMC. Never, never mention, it never matter if, it's how, in, in, and in, how will sex predators be attached yep. uh, to the candidate. So it's game on, right? This, these ads have been running all week by the WMC in saturation. Who is the State Chamber of Commerce yes. and who clearly cares a lot about these criminal justice issues? <laughs> but these ads are very gross. They essentially accuse Dallet of being soft on crime. Um, that she allowed a child molester, sexual predator, to go because, quote, there wasn't intercourse, right? That's essentially what the ad says. Well, I thought you gave him two years instead of Correct. 20 years. I was going to clarify. There's not even two any years. they commit any more crimes, I notice, right? Right, right. Hmm. So we're, we're talking about, you know, an ad that obviously is one case and of course, gets at the hearts of people, right? The idea of a, just, uh, a, a child sexual predator. But Rebecca, this week, what's a little bit unusual is we have pushback coming from the family, the family of this case. Yeah, so just to quickly take a step back and frame the race, you know, we've got um, two two candidates going head-to-head. Judge Dallet, who is, um, you know, a person with tremendous experience, uh, first um, as a prosecutor and then as a judge, uh, a woman, Democratic woman, uh, running in this nonpartisan race, someone who is a great candidate for this moment, and clearly um, the other side is panicked. And as Robert kind of uh, jokingly alluded to um, with the WMC and the Chamber of Commerce, you know, there this attack ad, which we'll t- I'll, I'm about to talk about, um, does hit Dalit for uh, allegedly under-sentencing sexual predators. But the main uh, goal and priority of the WMC is their profits, whether it's tax cuts or subsidies. Mostly tax cuts. Now it's subsidies now. They all the tax cuts. Now it's subsidies. Now right. it's subsidies, yes. Yeah, so it's just getting, getting piles of cash. deregulation environmentally, they like to. That too, yeah. So there's a clear um, class and profit motive behind this outside spending, and they've just dumped a ton of money into these ads. And I think most listeners probably have seen it because it's kind of hard to avoid it. It is very ugly. And, and, what and they've it, already taken over the Supreme Court. I mean, this, right. is, this has been a national Chamber of Commerce strategy to have right-wing judges. We had the nullification of state financial, finance law under John Doe because of this takeover, but it just continues. Right, right. Um, and so what is, like, particularly sad about this ad isn't just that it's, like, crass and ugly and a political hit piece and just a ton of dark money just poured in and it's all over the place, but um, what we learned, I, I guess, last night um, on the news is that it actually um, gives so much detail about the victims and the details of the case that it outs the family involved. And so the family has come out, um, not publicly, um, because they're really trying whatever they can do to preserve their privacy. It came out on the news, kind of blacked out, um, talking about how horrible this has been. 
um, re-victimizing the victim, re-victimizing the family. It's really disgusting uh, and just goes to show um, how little, you know, these dark money right-wing packs really, how little thought they put into the impact of what they're doing. Well, they don't care. And quite, I'm sure they rationalize that all the great things WMC is going to do for the state now that they have judges that will nullify basic regulations uh, is worth it. And the family that jobs at Foxconn, right? So the thing of it is this, it's even, I mean, it's even worse as far as the degeneration of our democracy um, because this is all the kind of ads that are legalized by the dark money decisions and by Citizens United and the doctrine that money and speech are the same thing, right, which is an appalling doctrine that goes back to the 1970s, actually. And so literally, these are supposed to be not corrupting, not, not campaign, right, just the free speech rights of, of the folk, good folks at WMC, of course, collect a whole bunch of money uh, from, from various business interests, right, um, and, 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 and corporate CEOs, uh, and so, and look, it's like trashing our democracy. Why would, why do we even have elections of judges if it's going to come down to these sort of sleazy expenditures on this sort of level? And let's just be clear: if you're a judge who has judged a number of cases, right, the whole point of being a judge is to have discretion, to have a real sense of what crimes are, what 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 criminals are, knowing knowing the nuances of a case, right. You can always cherry pick one case and then make it look horrible, right? And this, in this case, it's even a, it, it's it's particularly egregious. But how are we going to choose judges if you do that? The only people who can run then are people like Skronik, who have virtually no record and aren't real judges, and were put in there to be put on the Supreme Court. And so it it, it denigrates not only our democracy; it denigrates our whole criminal justice system because we want judges to be able to make discretion, and this means that a lot of ambitious judges will throw people in for bigger terms who they don't think should get them because they're ambitious and want to, want to run for Supreme Court or for, or, or, or for something else, right? And, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, I was go. just going to say, and, and to your point about someone who's not qualified as judge uh, to be a yeah. judge, I mean, the brazen uh, nature of the right putting up this person, Skrennick, Skrennick, I'm refused, Whatever he is, I think, we should play, I think we should have some kind of game to <laughs> figure out how to pronounce it. I hope we don't have to. After he if he loses, we can forget how to pronounce it. I mean, I, I, if I were uh, creating a comic book villain for this era, I couldn't think of someone. I mean, this is someone who has been arrested for blocking women from getting access to abortion clinics, physically blocking them from entering the clinics. This is a person who defended Act 10, right? I mean, if we're talking about... And was part of the gerrymandering. Right, right. And part of the gerrymandering. And, and that is the person who the right has put up to and be a judge. Defended polluters, and has defended polluters, which has nothing to do, he says, with his positions. He was just being a paid advocate. So it had nothing to do with the fact that he took the case. I don't know if I was a lawyer, I'm not taking the case for the polluters, are you? <laughs> and <laughs> you on know? the other side, we have a very experienced <laughs> public servant who is a judge who is running to be a judge well, in a higher level. There's lots of cases that could be taken out of context, right. right? Even though she's a very well-rated judge, right? So she... You, we don't know. You can't litigate this case in 30 seconds and the way they did it in the most sleazy possible way, right? right? So this trashes our democracy. And remember, conservatives want to trash our democracy because they don't want us to use government for positive social purposes. So this actually is consistent with their whole worldview and ideology. But it, it 
you know, it used to be that there was some notion of corporate citizens, you know, this quaint idea back in the 70s. Well, now the WMC is supported by the largest corporations in this state, and they're fine with this? Yeah, they're fine with outing uh, child victims of sexual assault. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, so this, of course, is what a lot of the public will be seeing, but there was some actual news this week <clears throat> in this case that is really important and gets to the spending, and that is that... Judge Dallet came out very clearly this week that she would recuse herself in cases with people who either spent resources in the campaign or benefited her, that she would do that. Skronik has not, and clearly isn't going to recuse himself. There's been millions now spent on his behalf by the chamber and other Yes, and they're refusing, groups. and they did not recuse themselves in John Doe. Correct. Where it's, they had clear conflicts of interest, and... We have a state where you can't buy a cup of coffee for a state legislator, but you can spend a million to elect a Supreme Court judge and still have them decide your case. So this is fascinating. This is fundamental, and it's why it's so important that we get out and help Judge Dallet and others this weekend. And there's plenty of opportunities to do that. There are field opportunities throughout the state. We'll have links to how you can get involved and get out. There's phone banking opportunities. You can phone bank from home. All different kinds of opportunities uh, to get involved. But it's it's fundamental. Uh, because of what uh, Skrennick represents. One more agitation. This is the Gableman seat, remember, ironically. So remember the Gableman-Willie Horton ad where they absolutely lied about the first African-American state Supreme Court justice, where Gableman did out of his own campaign. And we, in fact, at Citizen Action Wisconsin, filed the complaint with the Judicial Commission, which succeeded. It was found to be a violation of judicial code of conduct, uh, the ad against Lewis Butler. And believe it or not, the case is still technically alive because, of course, that was the one time, maybe there have been others, but Gableman actually did have to recuse himself from that one. And therefore, the Supreme Court at that time was a 4-3 conservative, so it split 3-3. And so technically, the case is still alive. But it was that horrendous uh, you know, and so Gableman, that's so bad, Gableman didn't even run for re-election because he, he never ran for re-election after, after running that. And now we have this, but it's coming from the dark money group. So it, 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 Mr. I'm sure Judge Thor had nothing to do with it whatsoever, right? And it's appalled. So folks, please, please get out and help this weekend. Um, later in the show, we're going to have on Sarah Godlewski again, and she is with the Vote No campaign on eliminating the state treasurer. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. I still can't believe it, that's yeah, on the ballot. Yeah, another, <laughs> it's on the ballot. And uh, we just want to make sure folks have information if you missed the last time she was on and understand why it's so important. And uh, so you can educate your neighbors before they get out and vote. But with that, we've got to take a break. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're going to talk a little bit more about the elections. Again, very important elections this upcoming Tuesday, April 3rd. And one of the more important things that's on the ballot, uh, a lot of folks are not well aware of, and that is the effort to get rid of our state treasurer and we have a special guest who is joining us for the second time, and that is Sarah Godlewski, and she is leading the effort to save our fiscal watchdog, vote no on the state treasurer. Sarah, thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. So we're really uh, glad you could take the time. We're just a few days out, and again, a lot of folks, this is a surprise, one that 
people, there would be an effort to get rid of the state treasurer. And two, that probably a lot of folks may not have heard about this. But again, and you know, just real quickly, remind folks why this is such a bad idea. So if you think about it, there's really three reasons why this is awful. I mean, first is that the state treasurer has the legal authority to inspect and examine all transactions, taxpayer transactions. So basically what that is doing is we're removing our auditor or our chief financial officer and giving those responsibilities over to the governor. Um, When that would seem particularly precarious at this moment in time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're giving them, basically that would give the governor access to over $1.2 billion. And currently that money goes to public schools and supporting local government. So what's the second reason? Yeah, the, the second reason is that trustee responsibility. So the state treasurer helps to oversee $1.2 billion, which is the common school fund. And uh, I think it's over $20 million in the university fund. And these are guaranteed money to help public education, but also provide money to local government for purposes such as parks, or they need to help finance a water treatment plant or um, a bridge. And so we would be removing all of that. So, Sarah, thanks for being on with us again. And as you know, we've been extremely impressed with this campaign. Part of the issue seems to be that, and I'm guessing some of the things that the state treasurer does are constitutionally mandated, because this goes back, way back in Wisconsin, but the legislature over the years, especially when we had the first imperial governor, Tommy Thompson, but then beyond that, uh, have taken a lot of responsibility away from the treasurer without the public noticing, and so there was some sort of sense that the treasurer doesn't have the kind of duties uh, that they used to have. But there's no reason for that to be the case. In fact, if the treasurer's office is, rather than removing it, the right answer would be to actually empower it because we should have an independent check. Is that, is that where you're coming from on this? And it actually should have even broader powers than the, uh, in terms of its role in the budget and being a fiscal watchdog than it currently has. You no, know, Robert, you hit the nail on the head, the fact that they have taken away some of these critical checks and balances. So one of the one that stands out the most is cash management. So if you think about it, the governor's office not only says, this is how we're going to tax you, this is how we're going to spend it, they currently also manage the cash to ensure that. And cash management used to be under the treasurer, again, kind of serving as that validator to make sure. Sarah, this is Rebecca with the Working Families Party. Uh, I think a question that a lot of folks might have, particularly if they didn't hear your last interview on uh, our our show, is why would they be trying to get rid of this position? It just seems like a strange effort to launch, and and we've kind of touched on it, but you know the running theme uh, throughout our our entire day here, um, including the previous segments, is that I think there's like an unabashed like shameless effort on the right, whether it's with the Supreme Court race, some of these local races, the special elections to call them, not to call them, to rig the rules of the game, um, largely for profit motives. And we talk about the spending of the WMC and other folks. Um, But this in particular is like a little odd. So could you explain why they're trying to get rid of this position? From my perspective, I think there's really two reasons. One is 
they don't want to have an independent watchdog that can really talk about or look at how taxpayer dollars are being spent. I mean, currently the person might not be executing that role, but that's exactly what our founding fathers have meant it to be. And the second is that it gives unilateral access to the executive branch for this $1.2 billion. And we've seen that they're trying to change the rules of this game with this trust fund for public education to things such as investing in real estate. Well, if they change the rules of this trust fund to invest in real estate, that's giving them money to build jails without actually going to the public for bonding purposes. They won't need to do that. And so this role helps to protect the actual integrity in what our founding fathers um, purposely created these trust funds for. And it seems to me we can go even further. If you, if you look at something like Foxconn, right, this giant public subsidy, um, to have the WEDAC and the Walker administration be in charge of monitoring something that is so politically important to them and that they're so on the hook from seems like a tremendous conflict of interest. And a very robust state treasurer could be stepping in and making sure that the subsidies are going to what they're supposed to go to, because this is a giant Fortune 500 company that has every incentive to take the money and not perform, even at the minimal level required in the agreement. Yep. I actually... um you know, as some, as loyal listeners will know, <laughs> I'm not originally from Wisconsin. I'm originally from New York. Uh, and my concern here is not only that um, our public funds will be misspent without accountability, uh, you know, for policy reasons we don't agree with, but that this uh, creates conditions that are rife for corruption. And, you know, in my home state of New York, in Albany, we had, um, you know, the, the New York State Economic, the Empire State Economic Development Corporation, which is essentially an arm of corruption of the governor. Um, he has not been directly charged. His top aide has been charged and is probably going to jail for a very long time. But, you know, we need these uh, checks and balances in place, not only to make sure that uh, the trust for public education isn't going to build jails or, or to, to have real estate deals, but also to make sure that it's just not str- flat out corruption, you know, whether it's um, rewarding campaign donors or rewarding people who are personally lining the pockets of officials. We need these checks and balances for sure. And I would just chime in, I think you're exactly right, Rebecca, that this is removing an internal control. And we know that when you remove an internal control, you're opening the door to additional fraud and abuse. And that's the last thing that we need in this current um, government in Wisconsin. So we're now, what, we're only a few days out from, from this election. What would you advise people who, you know, maybe they're just listening Friday, they're hearing this, and... This is the first they're hearing of it. What, what would you suggest they do to quickly get involved, but also to help spread the word before Election Day? Great question. So it's all about sharing the news. And so there's really three things that we were asking people to do. The first one is go to our website, which is www.saveourfiscalwatchdog.com. Uh, again, that's SaveOurFiscalWatchdog.com, and you can get all of this information and easily email that to your friends. The second thing is we have Save Our Fiscal Watchdog Facebook group, so you can post. Um, again, this is about making this campaign um, is like a grassroots viral effort. And then the third piece is that um, on our Facebook page and also on our website, we are now running an ad 
um, across the state of Wisconsin that talks about checks and balances. So it, sharing that ad again with your friends and family um, and just talking about it. Yeah, I got a chance to see the ad this morning uh, before I came in. It was running on our t uh, TV station here in Milwaukee. It's a great ad, and it really lays out essentially what we've talked about here. So please, uh, listeners, if you could go and share that ad, I think that will get around uh, very well on Facebook. We need to make sure a lot of folks, right, they already know they're voting. They've already made up their mind on, on the Supreme Court, but they may not know much about this. So it is really, really important to share, share uh, information, and, and the ad is a great quick listen that ought to be able to help uh, educate folks. Um, any other thoughts, Sarah, before we let you go? Yeah, just to, to let everyone know that this is it. <laughs> so if this vote passes, we approve the referendum, we're not going to get our fiscal watchdog again. So vote no, because we will keep our fiscal watchdog. We'll stop that undue concentration in the governor's office, and we'll protect those trust funds that are supporting public education and local government. Well, Sarah, we really appreciate all the work that you've put on this. We are here at Citizen Action and the Working Families Party super impressed with the campaign that um, you and uh, the folks you're working with have pulled together on this. And of course, want to mention and thank you for being a member of our organizing cooperative. It's great to see our members out leading uh, on really critical issues. So we're 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 also very proud of you. <laughs> we <laughs> think we think you're awesome. We appreciate it. Sure, sure. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Again, we are Citizen Action. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, and we'll see you right after this commercial. Welcome back. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. For the break, we spent a lot of time talking about the election. want to remind people, get out and vote on Tuesday, April 3rd. We are supporting Rebecca Dallet, so please get out, support. Very important race. But we're going to spend some time actually talking about some of the news uh, this week, and that always for us starts and ends <laughs> with Foxconn. Uh, there's some news this week that I wanted to bring up. A uh, couple of things, actually, and one of them has to do with the ability of actually getting workers to Foxconn. And we talked about this in the past, right? We do not have the kind of transit uh, that we need, whether that be rail, or even in many cases, buses, or any ability to get to this location. Um, and this is a huge issue. And this week, there's big news here in Milwaukee because a lot of our alders in the city are really adamant about trying to find a way to make some lemonade out of this and see if we can't at least get folks from our community where we have massive unemployment jobs down there and that's going to require transportation. And the current situation is we don't have the money. Right? This is unbelievable that we're in a situation where we have over $4 billion public money going to a private foreign company. $4 billion for Foxconn, zero for public transportation. Zero. But we are doing the highway widening. It's just it's amazing to me that we're in this situation. right? Like, It's not amazing, but like it's amazing... That, this, that there isn't more anger and upset. I mean, I think this is outrageous, right? Like There could have been a commuter train. They killed that. I just, part of me just assumed that, like, they would want to have this figured out because they want workers, right? Like, this is insane. Um, and, it's, and it shows why 
we, even being as close to the Foxconn as Milwaukee, should be highly dubious of the idea that this is going to create jobs or trickle down to the economy. There's another thing I want to get people's comments on, too, and that is we have talked a lot about how Walker's been running around selling this narrative that Foxconn's going to be great for um, contractors throughout the state that'll lead to a supply chain. He's been traveling all over the state pitching this. Well, didn't go so well, apparently. Uh, the folks in lacrosse didn't really get the message. Uh, in an article where they're promoting that they're going to be back talking about how you can line up to become a supplier. Well, the article contains a quote from the Chamber of Commerce president, Commerce president in Lacrosse, who essentially says, throws hot, you know, cold water on it, saying the last time he was here, nobody really came. There was very little interest. Another business guy essentially saying, "This is ridiculous. Nobody's going to get these jobs. Most it's too far, and most of our businesses, you know, for the size of what Foxconn is, aren't going to be able to scale up and really have an opportunity." Which is quite frankly, what we've been talking about, but it is always more powerful when it comes from the business community. Well, the polling shows this too. Uh, the Marquette Law Poll showed that people mo in most of the state don't think it's going to benefit them, and they're right, and we were against it originally and went around the state. It was very clear that no one in Wausau or Green Bay or Appleton or La Crosse. Oh, or but the glowing Claire. stories, Robert. There were tons of glowing stories about how this was going to be great for La Crosse and Eau Claire well, and Green Bay. It's and logically absurd. Just because La Crosse is in the same state as, uh, as, as Racine County, that somehow it's going to be more attractive than Chicago or any of the Midwestern states that are on, have Great Lakes access or whatever could come from overseas. Or well, why would Peoria? Why would right? Why <laughs> right. right? Why would that be? But how? Unless you put something in the deal, like a Wisconsin preference, which of course does not exist. You know, I think this is. Um, it's clear that. This is kind of a continuation of the tactics that Representative Amanda Stuck spoke about on the podcast last yes. week uh, in that they didn't actually talk to any local businesses in making this deal. Or right now, it doesn't sound like they're actually talking to anyone to try to figure out how Wisconsin businesses and contractors can benefit. Uh, I'm also very concerned, though, about the fact that Wisconsin workers don't seem to be at the table in terms of how they can benefit. And we've talked at, you know, ad nauseum and we'll continue to talk about how uh, the Walker administration is allocating millions of dollars to advertising Foxconn jobs to people who live in other states, which is just outrageous and offensive, uh, considering it's my tax dollars and our tax dollars that are going to this company to now, I guess, create jobs for young people from Chicago. Oh, well, specifically because they've only used certain L lines and certain bars, uh, white millennial professionals from yeah. Chicago. Yeah, I'm really glad that, you know, the, the money that I earn and yeah. are giving to, to Governor Walker my taxes is going to young millennials in Chicago. Anyway. Because the L trains that go to Latino and American community don't have the ad, right. just to be clear. It's, it's outrageous. But, um, you know, another piece of news this week is that the Senate has passed a piece of legislation that is a continuation of the attack on the building trades and on workers of Wisconsin that would essentially not allow local mayors and uh, municipal officials from working with uh, organizations that have collective bargaining agreements. So like continu continuation of banning PLAs, but this time uh, specifically around local hire. The assembly had passed, it's, it's a terrible bill, the assembly passed it with an exemption for Foxconn. The Senate knocked out the exemption for Foxconn. You know, I think we'll probably see a Friday news dump this week, and it's Good Friday on top of that, where Governor Walker signs a bunch of terrible bills. This may be one of them, 
And there is a ton, the Foxconn jobs are not here yet in the facility, but there is a ton of construction related to Foxconn on the roads, the water main, and there are people in our communities in Southeast Wisconsin, in Racine, who need these jobs. And there is a paltry sum that has been allocated for uh, worker training and, and, and hiring for local folks. But now it seems like we may not even be able to use it for that purpose. And it's just outrageous when you think about if we are gonna be doing construction, these are good jobs, good entry points into potential construction careers, and we should be doing whatever we can to make sure that us, Wisconsinites, are getting the opportunity to get trained and placed in those jobs. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, this is just one week's news, and we had, we, you've, we've already mentioned three. I've got a fourth on Foxconn. It's, it's unbelievable, but, like, this week also the state, released information that it has that around our air pollution, that Foxconn will now be one of the highest emitting smog producers in southeastern Wisconsin. And smog. Smog, yeah, right. And, and we, we know that higher levels of smog directly lead to people in the emergency rooms, medical conditions, right, that have real cost to them, okay? And this... For people who aren't from southeastern Wisconsin, we already have smog issues that we have been, we're under air, EPA air regulations that, you know, we work very hard to try and get better. So this obviously is more news about sort of what you might call the negative externalities of a $5 billion giveaway to, to Foxconn. So with that, we want to talk about the marchers this week before we go. Totally. Um, we, we mentioned last week, of course, that we were very inspired by the students and how they were planning for, for how, planning the large day of action on Saturday, which all around the country was just, I mean, it was awe-inspiring. The speeches were phenomenal. Um, no speech writers either, I bet, right? You know, just these kids pouring their hearts out and quite frankly shaming us, all of us, right? Um, it's, we, we've talked about that on the podcast so many times how intractable we feel this issue is, um, that it even leads to some inertia amongst ourselves who, who believe so strongly that we ought to have a saner gun, gun regulations. Um, and they're, they are snapping us, snapping us to action. And, and in particular, we wanted to talk about the marchers who went 50 miles this week, who instead of, you know, taking days off, they decided to march. So, and they arrived at Paul Ryan's house yesterday. Um, we'll put links to the Journal Sentinel who had excellent video of the speeches. You should go listen to them. They're, they're great. Um, but really putting the pressure on Ryan and calling them out for not protecting them, for completely ignoring them. Yeah, and these are students from all over the state. So from Paul Ryan's alma mater, from Rufus King in Milwaukee, um, you know, coming together with one voice. And I just love, you know, you read some of the coverage on this and their message is like pretty simple. Like we're pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to us. Uh, and it really is inspiring what they've done. And they're getting national coverage. I mean, I'm hearing from people all over the country. Wow, these kids are amazing. And they are amazing. Uh, and I think this ties into, we probably don't have enough time to chat about it now, but 
ties into some of the news that we heard about Paul Ryan this week, that he is, you know, once again, it surfaced this rumor that he is considering stepping down as speaker, possibly uh, as a member of Congress, but, you know, a strong rumor he's stepping down as speaker. And the denial is just like a present tense denial. Like he is not currently stepping down like today in this moment, um, but it's not clear what he's doing. Well, and yeah. Oh, breaking news. Hot take. Paul Ryan is stepping <laughs> down. It's, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. He's gone. So we'll 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 keep an eye on Paul Ryan watch. The the clock is ticking. <laughs> Robert, what do you got? <laughs> well, just that the thing and young people have often played this role in social justice movements and and it, many others in the past. They don't accept the limit of the system. And so people get older and say, "Yeah, that's just the way it is. You can't beat the NRA." And they're like, "Why?" You take a step back, and of course it's absurd, right, and ridiculous. And so it's, it challenges our society, and they have this huge self-interest. I mean, what the NRA and what the right-wing movement in this country is saying is, you need to be at risk of being slaughtered so that we can have this ridiculous view that people have a right to you know, mass-killing machines in their hands. So with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. Get out, help candidates takes people power to overcome big money and get out on Tuesday, April 3rd. But we want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the podcast happen every week. And thanks, Sarah Godlewski, for joining us. Vote no on the state treasurer. And again, we'll see you next week at the Battleground Wisconsin.